0: We're talking about our hearts. Are you all ready? Let's go. Last two messages I've been talking about guarding our hearts. You know, the heart is the place where God deals with. Everything comes out of the heart. You've got to be careful what you put into the heart via the gateways of information and things like that. And so basically our key verse of Scripture was, I mean, from Proverbs chapter 4. But you really need to read from verse 1. All the way through to verse 22. Really, really powerful. But verse 23 says this Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Now, we spoke about it the last two weeks, and uh, we see the heart is important. Andre shared this morning the importance of the heart. God provides manna, and he tells them to pick up a certain amount only. And in the process, he was testing their hearts to see if later they would obey his word. So in the provision, in the course of him satisfying their hunger, he said, you know, I will rain down bread. But at the same time, he was raining down his word. Is that okay? So implicit in all of that was a test for their hearts. And of course, when the time came to give, the tested heart was able to give because it had been purified. Amen? You see, there's all kinds of things that lurk inside of the heart, and we need to deal with it. I mentioned last week about that verse in Proverbs that says, folly is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of correction drives it from him. But we need to make sure that as we grow up to be adults, that there's still not areas of folly in our hearts. Our hearts need to be informed in order to be educated. And so the heart response, one theologian says, the heart represents our total response to life, the life around us, and to the religious and moral demands of God. It comes from the heart. We see from scriptures that things come out of the heart because of what goes into the heart. We saw that Jesus said this in Matthew 15, Matthew 15 verses 18 to 29, but we're just going to read, the, I think, the first verse. Jesus said, but the things that come out of a person's mouth, come from the heart, and these are what defile him. And Jesus lists the kind of things that comes out of the heart. It's quite amazing, the things that come out of the heart. He talks about murders and adulteries and theft and all kinds of things that come out of the heart. Now, the reason why those things in their full essence come out of the heart is because it has been preceded with thoughts. Thoughts Thoughts determine what is in the heart. Actions then result out of the heart. And Jesus gives like the end result of what the thoughts and the meditations are. So things come out of the heart. So it then becomes vitally important, church, what we put into our heart. Jesus said this, take heed in the King James Version. He says, take heed, you know, to what you hear. Take heed unto that which you hear. Now, you know, you can't help hearing many things. You know, if I did this, you had no choice but to hear it because it was unexpected. But certain things God wants us to be so certain about and so sure about that we guard our hearts that we don't entertain things that we hear. Is that okay? They mustn't lodge into our minds and then become part of our subconscious because they will eventually filter down into our heart and then into our spirit. And so it becomes very important. Last week I spoke about the defensive attitude. Of our hearts, In other words, protect your heart against all kinds of things. You know, it's very easy to get drawn into a conversation of gossip about someone, you know. And you sit there and you're listening to the gossip. And Proverbs again says, Proverbs is amazing. It says gossip is like a choice morsel that goes down into the inward parts. You know, it's just like eating lacquer food. I don't know if you've ever experienced, but you're sitting and you get caught up with gossip. And in the beginning, it feels all lacquer. It's like, woo, you know, we're assassinating that person. But you don't think that when you're doing it, you know? But afterwards, you walk away and you feel sick in your stomach. And you think, why did I do that? Another reason why you think that, you feel sick in your stomach, is when you walk away, you probably figure they're gossiping about you now. Exactly. Yeah, so don't join a gossip circle, because when you leave, they're gossiping about you. The best thing to do is go and find someone else and gossip about them first. That's a tease. Don't do it. Okay. So it's what comes in that we need to determine and listen to what we're listening to and thinking. We need to determine our thoughts, our spirit, our attitudes, and actions. God is defensive, but this morning I want to talk about being a little bit more offensive. In order to change our hearts, we need to be in control of what goes into our hearts. And we need to take an active role in putting into our hearts so the right things can come out. Yeah. Right, show of hands, how many of you have ever been disappointed? You thought you've dealt with something, and then you get into a situation, and something really ugly comes out, and you're quite shocked, and you think, now where the heck did that come from? Well, the thing is, it was there all the time. You were just coping with it. But it's very often in pressure situations or when you feel vulnerable or whatever, things come out. So the long and the short of it is, I want to just share this with you. The best thing to do is to get your heart occupied. There's a great theologian many years ago wrote a particular devotional, and he came to a scripture on a particular day also about guarding the heart. It's a similar scripture to our key text. And he talked about... These two, this couple, um, young couple, very much in love, and they decided to take a a cycle road down this particular country road. And they were riding down this road, and they rode for a long time, and then they rode back. And When they got back, this theologian said to them, oh, he wanted to tell them a story about this particular building. And he said, did you see that prison on the road that you went? And they looked at him and said, no, what prison? And he said, look, it's just off the road in the field. It's this big prison building. And he said, you had to have seen it. They said, no, we didn't. We didn't see it. And he realized the reason why they didn't see the prison building was because they were so occupied with each other. Mm -hmm. They didn't have eyes or attention for anything else. And so the article that he wrote was entitled, The Safety of the Occupied Heart. And so our hearts need to become occupied, occupied with the things of God. That's what needs to occupy this thing that's inside of us. Not the physical pump. It's part of that. But this emotional center, you know, that incorporates the mind and all sorts of other things. And so our hearts need to be occupied. God wants our hearts. He wants us to know Him, to love Him, and to serve Him. If He has our hearts, He has us and that's why right the way through scripture he talks about the fact that he saw with the Israelites I don't have their heart I don't have their heart I don't have their heart he kept on talking this is a rebellious and stubborn people their lips are for me but their hearts are far from me they pay lip service but not heart service and over and over again God realized you know when I say realize you understand what I mean that the law wouldn't do anything it wouldn't change them because they simply could not fulfill the law and that is why the time would come, and again, there are many, many scriptures on it, but he had to do something different. He had to penetrate the psyche of the human being. He had to penetrate them, and he had to get to their hearts. He had to get something into their hearts in order to get the right things out of their hearts, and that's why in Jeremiah 24 verse 7, he says, I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord. Amen? That stands right In the center of our Christianity is a heart to know God. Amen? I I mean, I want to know him. Paul, at the end of his life, probably other than Jesus, a person, a man that knew Jesus better than anyone else, you know, knew God better than anyone else. And right at the end of his life, sitting in prison, writing the Philippian epistle, he says this, I want to know him. Paul had a heart to know God. Amen? A heart to know God will take you far. You will do things that are impossible because you know God. But the right heart is also the condition for fellowship with God. It's amazing how many Christians you hear saying, I want to know God, I want to know God, I want to get closer to God. And God gives us one condition. He said this in Matthew chapter 5, I think it's verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God I don't know about you but I want to see God I want to experience him amen I want to see more of him and his, his essential nature I want to see more of what he can do and what he does but blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see they shall experience God the pure in heart amen so our hearts can be distracted, become disconnected from the Lord, divided. It's very interesting that the only thing in Scripture that God equates onto the same level as himself as far as that which demands and requires our attention is money, exactly. is mammon. Yeah. And he said you cannot serve two gods. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't call the devil a god. Yeah. No. He no. he you know, not even the apostle Paul calls the devil god. And I know some of you are thinking of a certain scripture that talks about the God of this world. Well, you need to go and study that scripture. It's not referring to the devil. I'm writing a course on it. It'll be on Udemy soon. Okay? The prince of this world is not the devil. That will be in that one. It'll be on Udemy. You can get it. Good. Okay. Okay. Okay? The only thing that God says competes with him for the attention of our hearts is that stuff that comes with money and that's why he says it's not money but the love of money that is the root of all evil amen because it competes with Mm. the attention and the devotion that our hearts should have that's why jesus says where your treasure is there your heart will be so come on church he should be our treasure isn't that right he needs to be more and more our treasure. It's amazing how many preachers are preaching about stuff. You know, divine favor. You know, you're going to get a job. You're going to get a car. You're going to get a nice house. You're going to get this. And Christians today are all running off to the stuff. And they've been groomed into it because then they throw big offerings. You know, They can bring lots of money You know, to the man of God because he's teaching. But listen, it's not about the stuff. It's about him. We need to have hearts for Him. We need to love Him. Look, it's better to have the giver than the gifts. Amen? It's better to discover the healer rather than the healing. Because when you've got it in its right perspective, then you will get the things. But we need to have Him. Amen? And so we need to be seeking after God. And so that's why God is after our hearts. David understood you know how easily divided our hearts can become. And that's why he says in Psalm 86 verse 11, he says, Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me, give me an undivided heart. David discovered something that his heart would get distracted. His heart would start to yearn after other things. It became a fractured heart, a divided heart. He said, God, give me an undivided heart. I want a heart for you and you alone. And then in Psalm 86, verse 11, in the King James Version, he says, Teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. I love it. Jeremiah 32, verse 39. God promised this covenant that would come. And he said, I will give them one heart and one way. One heart. One heart. Can you have two hearts? Well, you can have a divided heart. God says, I will give them one heart and one way one way isn't it amazing you know that the stream of our affections very often gets so divided into different directions into different ways and god wants us to have one heart in one way and he must have priority a heart that knows god is also a soft heart a soft heart is a believing heart so i just wanted to show you this I just love it. You know, Jesus was constantly trying to teach the disciples. Everything was a lesson for them because he was preparing to hand over the ministry of the gospel, the work of the kingdom, to this amazing band of 12 people. And one of the things that he needed to teach them of essence was faith, because the whole gospel is about faith. Amen? So he was constantly teaching them how to believe. And often he'd stand and shake his head and go like, oh, you have little faith. How long must I be with you? Oh, my goodness. You know, how many more miracles? You know, John says that if all the miracles were written down, he says the whole world couldn't contain the books. So he did a lot of stuff. They saw a lot of miracles, and then they still didn't believe. And he's going like, oh, you know, how long must I put up with you? You know, I know Jesus was gracious and all that, but I'm sure every now and then it was like, "Oh, oh, my goodness me. You know and probably just being exasperated with the disciples, you know. Even though he was full of grace, maybe he didn't. Maybe he just looked and smiled and whatever, you know. Okay, here we go again. (laughs) All right. And so it was amazing. You know, the one time in Mark 6, verse 52, he just fed the 5,000, just the men, 5,000, Add a wife, 10,000. Add two kids, 20,000. So maybe 20,000 people with a few loaves and fishes. You know, the miracle is amazing. He puts the bits of food in the hands of the disciples. And you can imagine Peter, you know, and he's got them sitting down in groups of 50. So there's 50 people. (laughs) And you know, you can fit the loaves and the fish maybe in one hand. Maybe they just put two hands just to make it feel like more. Because he says, now you go and feed the people. You can imagine Peter, for example, just looking at the food, looking in the face of the first guy, was big and very hungry. They'd been there three days, and it's like, um, go and give them to eat. And Peter's probably thinking, that dude over there, this will only fill the cavity in one tooth, you know, <laughs> that guy over there. How's this going to happen? The incredible thing is the miracle happened in their hands, that as they gave, the food was multiplied. They fed the entire multitude. these 12 disciples. They pick up 12 baskets of food afterwards, one for each disciple. You know, so they're going to walk away with a basket full of food. And it was like it was almost like Jesus grinning. I'm sure Jesus was grinning at them and having a good smile at them and going, like, okay, that's what I can do with a few loaves and fishes. And a basket full each just for their faith. Amen? And so they walk away with this basket full of food. And then, so now sail across to the other side, a storm hits, and um, now they think they're going to die. They're drowning. And in sort of Jewish myth, if you see a ghost when you're out in a storm, that's it, you're dead. Okay? So here comes Jesus walking on the water, and they're looking, and they're going, okay, that's it, we're over. Now we, we see a ghost coming and walking towards us. And then Jesus mentioned to them, it's it's me. But the interesting thing was, he's walking on water, but then he says to the disciples, he says this, or Mark comments, that they were afraid in unbelief because they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. They considered not the miracle of the loaves. So in other words, it was like their minds couldn't make the leap from the miracle of the loaves to Jesus walking on the water in the midst of a storm. Their hearts were hardened. So a hard heart is a disbelieving heart. It's a heart that cannot accommodate faith. Later again, just two chapters later, Mark chapter 8, verses 16 to 17. So now... There's 4,000 men. So, with a wife, 8,000. With children, 16,000. So, it's less than the 20,000. Again, they find a lunch of a little boy. And again, it comes. They put it in the hands of Jesus. He blesses it. But this time, there was slightly more food. There's slightly more food. So, he gives it to the disciples and he says, Right, go and distribute it to the crowd. So, he had less food, fed a greater multitude. He has more food, feeds a smaller multitude. So now that it's over, once again, they're in a boat, and they're in the boat, and then Jesus just casually turns around and says, did you bring some bread? No, Jesus turns around and says, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. So Peter thinks he's talking about bread, and they start looking in the boat, and they're saying, we forgot to bring bread. There's no bread except one loaf. That's what the Bible says. So, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, say, why are you talking about bread? I'm talking about the yeast of the Pharisees. I'm talking about the teaching of the Pharisees. That's what I'm talking about. Why are you talking about no bread? And so, you know, again, the Bible tells us, it says, aware of the discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? And then in the next verse, he says, Having eyes see you not, and having ears hear you not, and do you not remember? So what was Jesus saying? Two chapters ago, I fed 5,000 people with a few loaves. I've just fed 4,000 people with loaves. And now you're asking about no bread. Where's that soggy, wet loaf of bread that was in the bottom? Do you not think I could feed all of you? In fact, I could feed you without any bread. Yeah. But they couldn't make the adjustment. Church, one of the reasons why we struggle with faith is because our hearts are occupied with other things. It's very important for us that one of the things that James says, he says, do not be double-minded. If you look at that word in the original, it means don't be too spirited. In other words, have a divided heart. Another way of saying it is, do not have two hearts. Don't have a division in your heart. And so what James was talking about, he says, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Don't think you will get what you're wanting because your heart is divided. Amen? So we need to take care of our hearts because we cannot foster doubt and then try and have faith. We cannot allow resentment and bitterness and all of those things to reside in our hearts, unforgiveness to reside in our hearts because it occupies space. That needs to be occupied by the Lord. That will be a heart full of faith, amen. Because they crowd those things out. I like what Prophet Quibbles used to say: Faith is not the absence of doubt. Faith is deciding to believe despite the doubt. Many soldiers will tell you that courage is not the absence of fear. It's just that they allow their courage to override the fear, amen. And so we need to fill our hearts with the right things. And there's great safety in an occupied heart. Now, I just want to just mention this quickly. The heart is more than the mind. You know, often we talk about the fact, you know, it's complex. It's almost like splitting hairs, trying to divide the heart and the mind and the soul and the spirit and all of those kind of these. So much overlap. But I want to tell you that God doesn't just want us to serve Him intellectually. God wants us to serve Him from the heart. That great worship song that was sung, I'm getting back to the heart of worship. The heart of worship is where it comes from the heart. Andre touched on it this morning. Our giving mustn't be an intellectual thing. It mustn't be something that's just from the brain. It needs to be something that comes from the heart. The heart is not only the seat of the intellect, it's also the seat of the emotions. It's the center of our being. It is the place where our feelings come from. You know, that sadness is very much felt on the inside. Disappointment is very much felt from the inside, from within your being. It's just, it's right at the core, right at the center of who you are. And so, when I talk about the next point that we need to get to, filling our hearts with the right things, I want us to understand that when we come to talk about the mind, because we're gonna talk about the renewal of the mind for a few minutes. When we talk about the mind, it's more than the intellect. It's more than the processes that happen in our brain. It very much includes our emotions. God wants us to love what we do. That's why he says God loves a joyful giver. It's something that comes from within. Every man whose heart moved him came and gave the gifts to the building of the tabernacle in the wilderness. And so the heart becomes so important. It's important for us to look after. The Hebrew word for heart is leb. Leb, the Greek word is kardia, which obviously where we get cardiac uh, or cardiac from in our English language. But all the way through the Hebrew Bible, it speaks of more than, you know, it's not just the physical heart muscle, but it is the center of our intellect, our emotions, our understanding. It's where wisdom comes from, but it's also where our feelings come from. And so the Lord wants us to serve Him not just intellectually, but He wants us to serve Him with our emotions amen it's got to come from inside and that's if it comes from the inside it's not mechanical i mean when it comes from the inside it changes your worship you know because your whole being gets involved you know because it comes from the inside it's not just hallelujah jesus glory god hallelujah amen it comes from the inside Amen? amen your giving comes from the inside so this is what God says in Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 3. He says, This shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord. Listen to this. This is the King James translation. He says, I will put my law in their inward parts. Yeah. In their inward parts. That's where my law will be. will be in here. Once it's caught your emotions, once it's caught your heart, you're more than likely to do it rather than if it's just an intellectual assent. And so God is after our heart. I like this. Jesus replied to the Pharisee, asked him which is the greatest commandment. He said this, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and then all of your mind. In other words, with the entirety of your being. But it's really interesting. He said, heart first. Is it okay? He says, first your heart, then your mind, and your soul, where your will comes from. It's got to touch our hearts. How much does he occupy our hearts? It was wonderful when Jesus was growing up and things were happening, and his mother Mary was looking at the things that were happening, the announcement of angels, the prophecies of Anna and Simeon, and, and looking at all of these things. Understand that she knew the scriptures. And yeah. she's looking at all these things. She understands the scriptures about that a Messiah is coming. She experiences the visitation of Gabriel telling her that she will bring forth the Son. But I'm sure she must have thought, even after that, is this really true? Is, is, this, is this real? You know, I'm the one that's given birth to the Messiah to the Christ, the one that was to come. But as she watched all of these things unfold, the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 2 verse 19, she says she kept all these things and she pondered them in her heart. Listen, church, how much value do we put on what God says to us? How much value do we put on the activity of God around us? When God speaks to us, I mean, for example, this series of messages. Okay, look, I know about the renewing of the mind, and I know about the heart, and I know about all of these kinds of things. But, I mean, how much do we attach ourselves to them? How much do we ponder on them? How much do we reflect on it? How much space does the Word of God have in our lives? You know, very often we compromise, and our compromise is directly related to the commitment that we have to the Word. It's directly related to how much of the word occupies me. Am I occupied with God? You know, it's beyond belief for me that many of those who were in Germany, those who were in Russia, those who were in communist China, and believers who were there, who would watch their families being slaughtered but would not renounce Jesus. It's beyond imagination you know Western Christians will compromise like that Absolutely. but here's people and they have guns against their wives and their children's head renounce your faith and there's a story of where they did that with the children of a pastoral couple husband and wife and they had the grave dug and they had the weapons ready and they said renounce your faith otherwise we shoot you it was the wife and the kids And um, they were in the hole already. And they said to the husband, he was a preacher in a a big church, they said, renounce your faith, otherwise we kill them. And before he could answer, the mother gathered the kids, said, let's kneel and pray in the graves, in the hole. And they said, come kids, let's pray, because we're having supper with Jesus tonight. And that's the answer. And they were executed. How do you recover from something like that yeah. if God doesn't occupy your heart? Yeah. You know that we need to have, we're in a world where our hearts need to be occupied with God. The amount of evil is just increasing. Yeah. You know, things are becoming a challenge. I'm just really thrilled about there's a swing of a pendulum. There's a little bit of a, a kickback in America that's happened with the overturning of that law that came out of abortion. And, and it's thrown America into a tiz. But well, it's absolutely awesome. Amen? I mean, the billions of lives that have been killed through abortion. And I understand that there's times for medical reason that needs to happen. But fantastic that that law was overturned. But we're living in a world where a lot of other things need to be overturned. But church, we need to guard and protect our hearts so that we don't fall for those same things and fall into a life of compromise because a compromised heart is a powerless heart. Yeah, true. What occupies... Our hearts a changed heart and a changed life for us as Christians comes from renewing the mind yeah. it 's very interesting that what we see, what we hear, what we speak is a gateway into our hearts, but via our minds yeah. and so it 's absolutely necessary i don 't want to do a great teaching on it you 've heard many, many, many teachings on the renewal of the mind but I, I want to just stress a point. The more of a heart for God we have, the more of God we have. So the remedy is a renewed mind because a renewed mind doesn't only have an impact into your heart. There's a deposit that takes place into your spirit, through your heart. I know sometimes it's used synonymously. For me, somehow I'm seeing it a little bit different. So Romans 12 verses 1 to 3 says this. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, or as the NIV says, in view of the mercies of God, in other words, in view of all that he's done for us, this is our only appropriate response. He says, you present your bodies as a living sacrifice to God, holy, you want to say holy, holy, acceptable to God. So in other words, the life that is acceptable to God is a what life? is a holy life. Okay, I'm going to say it again because you were very slow there. So a life that is acceptable to God is a what life? It's a holy life. He says that's in the NIV. Let's put it in the King James translation. He says that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your most reasonable service. It's the most reasonable thing you can do in the light of his salvation, of your body. And then he says this, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Once your mind is renewed, then you will be able to prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Amen? So the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God, there's three levels of the will of God. Number one, it's that, the will of God, which is going to happen out of his sovereignty that doesn't matter what you and I do, it's going to happen. Is that okay? His kingdom is being built and established. The gates of hell shall not prevail. whether you part of it or not? It's going to happen. Is that okay? And then there's a second level of the will of God, which we find from the word. Things like don't steal, don't kill, don't be nasty, love your pastor, um, all of those kinds of things. And that you have a choice with. Is that okay? But then there's a more specific will down at the third level, and that is what is God's will concerning you? Is that all right? But once you give your life and you're transformed in your thinking, you're able to prove by living it out what God's good, pleasing, and acceptable will for you is. You start to live it out spontaneously. Amen? You just live the life that God has called you to live. And that's what happens when we renew our minds. And we're not conformed to this world, but transformed. The problem with our minds is not merely that it's finite. The problem with our minds is that they are fallen. Because of the fall, and that's why it needs constant re education. Is that okay? So, somebody once accused me of brainwashing my members, and they said, well, What you guys do, you brainwash. And I said, Yep, that's exactly what we're doing. Yeah. I said, I mean, there's a lot of filthy, dirty, stinking thinking, and it needs a good clean, yeah. including mine. Yeah. Is that okay? Uh, he, well, he didn't know what to say, and I said, Of course, I'm washing, we wash our minds by the renewal of the word. Amen? And it needs that constant washing. So renewal is the essential means of transformation of our lives. It's not external conformity. It's internal transformation. It's not the accumulation of knowledge. It's the change that that knowledge brings. Because knowledge alone cannot transform. There are people that can quote the Bibles who are atheists, and they use the Bible to fight and argue against Christians. They can quote it. Muslims can quote the Bible, but they don't believe in it. It doesn't change their lives. Amen? So there needs to be a renewal of the mind. But the action comes by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, there's a dual action of the Holy Spirit in the renewal of our minds. First action is in our salvation. Amen? So there's, in Romans 12, chapter 2, where it says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. A renewing, okay, or renew will. Yeah. There's two other places where that is written in Scripture. Now, let me give you the first one. It's Titus 3, 5, where Paul talks about it to Titus, saying, you know, that our salvation is not something we did. So in Titus chapter 3, verse 5, King James translation, it says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, But according to His mercy, He saved us. Listen to this. By the washing. The washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Isn't that awesome? And so when we got saved, a whole lot of renewing took place. Our spirit was renewed. Amen? Our soul areas in the process of being renewed, which includes our mind. But the incredible thing is... That this renewal of the Holy Spirit was the Holy Spirit working from the outside in. He confronted our hard hearts. He confronted our darkened understanding. He confronted the futility of our thinking. These are all words that Paul and Jesus used. The futile thinking, the darkened understanding, the calloused conscience. He confronted when we first heard the gospel, and he presented truth. He broke through like light into a dark place, and he presented us with this glorious truth, and he showed us the, this amazing truth about Jesus, and it broke into our lives, and we were born again, and our spirits were changed. And in the process, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16, the second part, he says, now you have the mind of Christ, yeah. is that incredible? In other words, what he is saying is we don't get it entirely, but what he is saying is you have the ability now to understand who you are in Christ, and to think the way Christ would think. Yeah. Is that okay? You have that faculty. When you were not born again, when you're not born again, you you don't have that ability. And so, the incredible thing is he gives us the mind of Christ. How did he do it? Second Corinthians three eighteen. We all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory even as by the spirit of the lord and that comes from that passage where he says you know god spoke out of darkness and He shined his light into our hearts and now we see him and we've been conformed by what we see and the holy spirit opened our eyes and our understandings are not darkened anymore we can see the glory of christ in the face of God. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Or the glory of God in the face of Christ. And we can be transformed because now we can become what we behold. Yeah. James says it in another way. He says, James says, listen, if you go and you look in a mirror and you just see your natural self, you'll walk away unchanged. But you need to look into the perfect law, which is the word that gives liberty and then you'll be transformed. Amen? And so the word is the mirror of liberty. It's the principle of the spirit of life. And when we look into it, we see the image of Jesus in it, and we see the glories of Christ. That is what we are transformed into. And that was the work of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Amen. Isn't that awesome? And so the third verse is 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18, where Paul says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Hallelujah. Amen. So the second thing, the Holy Spirit works from the outside in. But then the Holy Spirit works from the inside out. But this part we cooperate with by the renewing of our minds. We need to follow up on His initiatives and work with His enablings. We need to fill our minds, meditate on his word. It's very interesting that God said to Joshua when he took over the leadership of Israel, he said, this word of the law must not depart, depart out of your heart. No, he didn't say that. He said, this word of the law, he said, because, because if you meditate on it, he says, everything you do will prosper. I'll make your way successful. Is that okay? But what did he say in Joshua 1 verse 8? He said, let this word of the law not depart out of your heart mouth. Hebrew word for meditation is mouth. In other words, don't let it depart out of your mouth. You need to hear yourself. So biblical meditation is repeating it, memorizing it, speaking it. Why? Why? Because you believe 100% of what you say. Amen? So if you hear yourself saying something, your heart believes it. Can I tell you that psychologists, sociologists, all those people, the clever people, they've done studies on human beings and they say, because sometimes you go, you say something negative. You go, "No, nah, I'm only joking." They say that your heart does not have a sense of humor. Yeah. yeah, your psyche does not have a sense of humor. In other words, if it hears you saying something, it believes it because you're saying it. Yeah. So don't even joke. Don't even joke and say, "I'll die one day. I'm going to die." Uh, you know, don't joke like it. Don't say that. Yeah. You know, I nearly had a heart attack. Well, because you said it, you probably did nearly have one. But just don't say things like that. Amen? I would rather die. No, you wouldn't, you liar. You'd much rather live. Amen? Come on. It cannot discern when you're joking. We need to say the right things, church. Amen? And get the right things into our hearts and so we need to help the holy spirit to meditate on the word he's enabled us to have the mind of christ and we fill it we start to go like oh wow oh wow is that who i am i'm the righteousness of god in christ i can do all things through christ i mean that's unbelievable i can lay hands on somebody who's got pain because of cancer and they can be healed amen I can talk to someone and give them words of life and they can accept Jesus in dire circumstances in a caravan squatter camp. Because there's power in what I speak because that's, it's something that I've filled my heart with. Come on, church. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. So we need to do our parts. We need to fill our lives. So listen to what God says to the people of Israel through Ezekiel. Now remember that they were um, Ezekiel was a prophet in the exile. He was with the people in Babylon. He went through what they went through. Jeremiah just before, but Ezekiel in particular. Listen to what Ezekiel says as we close. Cast away from you. In other words, you cast away. All your transgressions, whereby ye have transgressed. And make you a new heart and a new spirit. Who must do it? They must do it. He says, create in yourself... A new heart and a new spirit. For why will ye die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth, says the Lord God. Wherefore turn yourselves and live ye. I mean, we know what Proverbs talks about—the fruit of our lips. So why do we want to die? Let's live. Let's start to speak things. Amen. So, and and this is not a brag. I promise you, it's not a brag. I just want you to just hear this because it touched me so deeply. So so what I'm going to show you is something I aspire to more and more. Mm. So, Prophet Andre sent me the WhatsApp message about his family. I prayed, and then I sent a message back each for Zandre and Josh. But in the message, I said to both of them, you shall fulfill the purposes of God for your life. It's all on my phone. I can show you. 20 minutes later, 20 minutes later, I get a voice message. It's about 20 to 6 now from uh, Pastor Dominic, uh, uh, one of our pastors. And as I start to listen to this voice note, I'm just going going goosebumps. Because he said, Prophet, I just had a dream about you. I just woke up out of this dream. And in this dream, I saw that there was a man wrapped in in black plastic in a coffin. And he was dead. And he said, and you came... And you lifted him out of the coffin by yourself. You laid him on the ground. And he says, and then you stood back and he said, I was just behind you. And I was leaning against the wall watching you. And then you went over to him and you said to him, brother, you will fulfill the promises of God for your life. He says, and when you said that, the black plastic became transparent. And he said, in it I could see a handsome man, a white man, a handsome white man. And um, his face was bloodied. And he said, I stood there going like, oh my goodness. He said, you walked away. And he said, I stood there thinking to myself, Prophet, how can you say you shall fulfill the promises of God for your life? The guy's dead. He's been in an accident. And he says, and then you came back. And you took his right leg. And you shook his right leg. And then he started to move his right leg. Then he started to move the left leg. Then he moved the right arm. Then he moved the left arm. He says, and then the blood cleared up then he opened his eyes and then he turned to the right and he turned to the left and he said the interpretation to this dream is and then he began to share the interpretation of the dream but he says when you speak to people and you say the promises of God shall be fulfilled for your life it's going to happen it's going to happen and he said and prophet I want you to know it caused me to revisit every prophecy I've had for my life and I'm aligning myself to you and I'm aligning myself to every prophetic word that you'll speak because this is where God is taking you. That when you speak over people, your words do not fall to the ground. And then he said this, and more and more, he said, even the dead shall be raised in your ministry. Come on. Amen. So look at the person next to you and say, for you too, for you too, for you too. Amen. So what am I trying to share with you? I'm trying to say, what you fill your heart with will come out of your mouth. Amen. And if your heart is undivided, if your heart is pure, what we speak will have greater power. For so God is after our hearts. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. So I was so blessed because I had just said that to Zandre. I had just said it 20 minutes before to Zandre and to Josh. You shall fulfill the purpose of God for your life. And yeah, the guy has a dream and tells me the same thing. I was like, oh, Jesus. I mean, I was running around goosebumps. You know, just going, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. So, amen. Amen. I declare, declare. you shall fulfill the purposes of God for your life. life. The enemy shall not steal, shall not kill, shall not destroy, shall not distract, shall not divide. You will fulfill his purposes in your generation. In Jesus' name. Come on, let's stand. Give the Lord a hand. Amen. Amen. Woo. Woo. Hallelujah. Word, the more we give our hearts to the Lord, the more power can issue from our hearts. Amen. From the inner being. Hallelujah. Are you all ready? Come on, just lift up our hands. I want you to respond to God. I want you to tell Him, God, you can have my heart. You can have all of it. Come on, if there's any area of unforgiveness, if there's hurt in your heart, if there's woundedness, if there's resentment, come on, this is poison for the heart. This is a divided heart. Come on, you need to do it. You need to do it. I really, 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 really strongly feel if there's an area of offense and unforgiveness in your heart, put it aside. Amen? If it comes from parents, forgive your parents. They didn't know what they were doing. And even if they did... You need to forgive them. Forgive, release, get rid of it. Get it out of your heart. In the name of Jesus, the pure in heart shall see God. Father, I want to thank you that you've put us on a course as ACF. Lord, you're dealing with us. Father, I understand that when we got born again, you gave us new hearts. But Father, there is something that you are wanting to release in ACF. That requires pure hearts. Father, I know, I've seen it and I've been there, how revival and great moves of God can destroy men and women of God, can destroy churches, because you don't have all of their hearts. And Father, very often we fall short of the glory that you have for us, we fall short of the destiny that is ours, because our hearts have become distracted, disconnected or they've become resentful, or they've become hard. Father, I want to thank you. Lord, on behalf of your people this morning, we are giving you permission. Lord, would you work on our hearts? Would you help us to have pure hearts? Holy Spirit, would you become the preacher after the series is even finished, that you will just continually touch our hearts, speak to our hearts, minister to our hearts? Father, David prayed. David prayed, and he said, God, create in me a clean heart and a pure spirit. Lord, in an essence, he was saying the same thing, but in another way, he was saying two different things. Father, that we want pure spirits. Lord, like Caleb, where God said of him when Joshua was writing, but God said of Caleb and also Joshua, these are men of a different spirit because their hearts were steadfast on God. Father, Lord, what a privilege to pastor this group of people. People who've got just good hearts and in whom is a different spirit. And Father, may that become increasingly more obvious, more evident. May we invest in our hearts in the mighty name of Jesus. That's my prayer. Speak that as a blessing over your people. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.